Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to the TDN Fantasy Podcast, week 17 in the books. Congratulations if you found yourself winning a fantasy football championship uh, in any capacity, whether it was a DFS week, whether if it was regular fantasy, whether you were like Jamie and I and had a bunch of best ball lineups uh, hanging in the balance of Monday Night Football. Congratulations on a uh, victorious season. And if you did not uh, do well or did not win a championship, the offseason begins. It is time for research. It is time for discussion. It is time to put yourself in a position to win in 2022. And we are going to do so because Jamie, and he did so six minutes early last night. I checked the timestamp on this. Right is when Monday Night Football was coming to a close, a little bit past that. 9.54, it said on my clock here in Arizona, which means it was 11.54 on the East Coast Jamie's way too early 2022 fantasy football mock draft. Do you know what it's never too early for, Jamie? It's never too early to have some action on your favorite football games, whether it's the College Football National Championship, whether it's the NFL playoffs, whether it's the NBA, the NHL. You can do so over with our friends at betonline.ag. They remain your number one spot for all the sports action. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device today. And if you sign up, for your first deposit, 50% welcome bonus. Just use the promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your bonus. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of the amazing new offers available. Bet online where the game starts. Jamie, that was a better segue out of me there today. It was. We will now segue into all of the complaints I have in your way too early 2022 well, fantasy football mock draft, in which you made changes yesterday. You were messaging me yesterday saying, I have made changes to this. Yes. So one, I could have got this out sooner than six minutes early, but uh, the Najee Harris late touchdown run changed up some stats. So I had to reconfigure a few things to make sure all the stats that I used in the article. Because, you know, you know, I've been working on this for a few weeks now, but I didn't really want to do the written portion until like after Sunday's games, because it's like a lot of these numbers will change. And Doing more research on this, that's why I changed players. It wasn't more willy-nilly. I was doing more research to write, to write up the written section, and I went, hey, you know what? I talked myself into moving these guys around. So I made a couple changes. Nobody knows these changes but you, uh, but I made a couple of these changes. But let's let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Start from top to bottom. And, and for Chris and for everybody else, we're going to go over these every Tuesday pretty much from now through the end of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just we'll remind you what the parameters are. These are all written in the article, but this is for a half PPR league, 12 team, single quarterback. And then we'll be drafting. And then after the first round, it is not a big board. So I will continue to mention that after the first round, we are drafting for each of these teams as if they were our own, or I guess in this case, my own. So I might draft a player at a position that is maybe ranked lower than where I would have them on a big board. But if a team already has, let's say, two running backs and they need a receiver, they might take a receiver there, even if there's a running back ranked higher, all that fun stuff. So essentially, this is going to be a mock draft in every spirit of a mock draft, as if all 12 of these teams are drafting for next year. So um, let's get right into it. Right, Chris? 12 picks to discuss here on the show. Pick number one, the first pick, 1.1. And you're already mad. I am already mad. Took took you one pick. Is the running back for the Tennessee Titans, Derek 
Henry. So we are going to start with RB1 for you, Jamie, at the end of the 2021 season. We still have one week left to play uh, in the regular season. But for you, entering 2022, RB1 in fantasy is Derrick Henry. And I think some people might be a little shocked by this, seeing as he's been hurt, he hasn't been on the field, hasn't done a whole lot. But you still believe what we saw in the first portion of the season, where there had been... And, and this is one of the things in, in doing prep for this show. I was thinking about this. What what had been one of the bigger criticisms of Derrick Henry is that, well, you're going to draft him, and those first couple of weeks, man, you're not going to really get a whole lot. And then, boom, he's going to hit you with that big stretch late entering the fantasy playoffs, and that's when you're, you're going to get the most value. Well, honestly, this year is a little different. He played very well in the early part of the season, and if he didn't get hurt, I think w- the way I talk about Jonathan Taylor, I think it's the way we would talk about Derrick Henry in the MVP conversation, and he played extremely well up until he got hurt. Uh, and there's a good chance he's going to be back for Tennessee in the in the postseason. Yeah, and, and this is going to spoil the second pick as well. But there, there's really, to me, it's a two-horse race at the top. And and I honestly would not – I don't feel strongly enough in one of these directions to have any criticism if you go the other way here. But let me make my argument here for Derrick Henry 1-1. One, one. Uh, first off, obviously, the injury was unfortunate. He only played eight games, missed half the season. Uh, as great of a position as he put you in, he also hurt you down the stretch because he wasn't able to come back. It's a chance he plays in Week 18, but I don't think that's going to make a lot of sense uh, considering that the Titans should be able to handle the Texans pretty well. Then they will have a bye, so then he will get an extra Week 18 and Wild Card Weekend off before coming back in the divisional round, which is what I expect to happen. But let's not forget about how great he was before that foot injury on Halloween. Clearly the top player in fantasy. He was averaging 23 fantasy points per game. This year, and again, keep in mind that's after being the RB four in average fantasy points back in uh, 2019, RB3 in that same category in 2020. Uh, obviously, this was the first year that he had these major health issues. I know we've kind of been waiting because look, the running back position is really tough to remain healthy anyway. But you look at the way this Titans offense is built, they are going to run through Henry early, often, and always. He's gonna get the workload, he's gonna get elite touchdown production. He has proven now that over a long, multi-year stretch that he can be a true RB1 for you. And I still believe when healthy and on the field, there's not a a running back outside of Christian McCaffrey when healthy and on the field that is going to score more fantasy points. And I'm not as worried about Derrick Henry's injury history as I am right now about Christian McCaffrey's. It's razor thin at the very top here, but if I'm picking right now today on January 4th, Give me Derrick Henry for the 2022 season as my top pick. So let's loop in pick number two and continue to have this conversation. You have Jonathan Taylor as the the second pick, 1.2, and he's RB2 coming off the board. Uh, And when you shared with me uh, your list, this was the first complaint that I had with you, is that I'm firmly entrenched, and this is kind of the mantle that I've taken up. Jonathan Taylor RB1, Jonathan Taylor MVP, I'm I'm taking this on. And I'm actually going to argue against myself for just a brief second because I think one of the interesting tiebreakers that you could use because it's close, Jamie. You wrote in the story that Jonathan Taylor did play in more games, but he averaged 21.2 fantasy points per game. So he was still extremely valuable and still in that top tier of running back. What I thought was interesting this year, and again, it's not to the level of Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey or some of the other running backs. Derrick Henry caught some passes out of the backfield, which I thought was very important. That adds some additional value. It's another way to get points. That was one of the big knocks on him when we were talking about him last year is he's got a high floor, but what's the ceiling because he's not necessarily a true pass catcher? Well, the one thing I do know about Indianapolis is that 
they love to put other running backs on the field and throw them the ball and just not use Jonathan Taylor. And until I see that change, that's obviously going to be a concern is that the workload for Jonathan Taylor could be a little bit diminished. So I am arguing against myself there. And if you wanted to use that as the tiebreaker, I think that would be extremely reasonable. But yeah, Jamie, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, um, I'm kind of splitting hairs with you here. I think either one of these guys in these two spots I think is fair. Yeah, and look, there was a nearly 60-point gap between Jonathan Taylor and the RB2 uh, this year in total points. I mean, it was really McCaffrey-like in terms of where he finished here. And it was obviously – it's funny because there were points early in the season where we were like lambasting Frank Reich and company. Like, why aren't they giving Jonathan Taylor the ball more? Why aren't they doing all this? And they finally kind of came around to it. You know, had more red zone carries than anybody in the NFL this year, twice as many as the next highest back. Again, you're looking for a high touchdown upside here. As you mentioned, you know, while Marlon Mack won't be back next year, Naeem Hines will be because they handed him that multi-year contract extension. But again, I don't have any issue here if you want to flip-flop these guys. Um, Again, he was, look, the number six overall player in total points this year behind Cooper Cup and four quarterbacks. Like, I mean, it was he had an absolutely remarkable season this year. You really can't go – I say you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with the information that we have. We know how injuries and all these things can always change, and a lot of times having the number one pick is a curse in fantasy drafts. But as of what the information we have right now, you can't go wrong with either one of these guys in the top two. Process, not results, right? You need to have a good process. The results are, are things that you can't control if your process is good. And I think, Jamie, the point you're making is the process that would lead you to either picking Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry with either of the top two picks is good process. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor having 60 more points than the next running back, RB3. Uh, that happens to be the, co- the running back that we're going to talk with, pick 1.3. Maybe a surprise to a lot of people that this is a name coming off the board here because there are some big fish still out there in the running back market. Austin Eckler is the guy coming off at 1.3. And the point that you make in the story is a little underappreciated still, I think, in fantasy circles. People don't understand how good of a back he has been in real life for that Chargers team and that a Chargers offense, but in fantasy, extremely valuable. And I feel actually great about this. To me, this is a clear, like if there's one and two that I feel good about, just flop the order. I feel really good about Austin Eckler coming off the board three for me. Obviously, he was the number two running back in fantasy, as you already teased in total points. His per-game totals only trailed Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. And what I found interesting in my research was how consistent he was this year. He only had two games all season long where he scored less than 11.7 points. And I think that is so valuable because there are going to be some boomer bust players that we talk about on this list. Boomer bust players that are going to go in the first half of the first round. We'll get to them in a second. But that level of consistency to basically give you a dozen-plus points minimum every single game out there with some of the spike games, is hugely important. The only game he missed uh, this year was for COVID, um, you know, so he didn't suffer an injury setback. He finally got goal line carries, which was the big thing that we were waiting for all this time. Like, would he finally get some goal line work? Because, um, you know, the previous staff there, Anthony Lynn and company, were a little bit hesitant to give him those goal-to-goal touches. Brandon Staley and company were not this year. There's really not much to not like about Austin Eckler. Uh, in these formats. So obviously, unless you're still playing in an archaic standard league, uh, if you're playing in full PPR or half PPR, to me, he is the very, very clear choice uh, at number three. And I'd be really excited to have him. And and it's funny because it makes all those uh, late in the process this past season where there was some debate whether or not he should have been a first rounder or not makes that look a little bit silly now. But I love love him at three. I I don't feel like I'm going to come off of this barring 
uh, an injury at any point in the offseason. He deserves to be, again, you're not taking him one or two, but I think he's the clear consolation option there if you don't get Taylor or Henry. Uh, as somebody who has Austin Eckler in a uh, dynasty keepers league format, uh, very happy with the season that he had uh, that I was able to, to to grab him. Jamie, this is the next spot, which I have a problem. I have a little bit of a complaint to lob here, and I will do so after you discuss that another running back. That's the theme. You know this with Jamie, running back, running back, running back uh, in the early portions of the first round, a fourth straight running back coming off the board. It's Alvin Kamara, running back for the New Orleans Saints that comes off the board here at one dot four. Yeah, this is the one of those guys that bumped up for me uh, when I made my changes. And, you know, I originally had him a couple spots lower than this. But, you know, I, I was pretty happy with what I saw this year from him. Now, he wasn't as good as, as some of the years past, but I think we're also seeing there's not quite as many elite running back production as we've seen in the past. So, but, you know, he, he on a per-game basis, he was RB5, you know, among all running backs. And my concern is, is that I understand there's no guarantee the quarterback situation is better in New Orleans next year than it was this year, but there's a chance it could be. And he actually played better with Taysom Hill as his quarterback than I anticipated. That was the big knock when I had him when we had this conversation last year about where I would have Alvin Kamara ranked and why he wasn't a top five player for me. He wasn't, again, as good with Taysom Hill as he was with Drew Brees, but he showed that he could still have pretty solid fantasy potential. I know he missed a little bit of time this year, but... I still kind of like him in this spot. This is kind of a, a start of a new tier for me. Like I, I don't, I'm not going to have any. There's not going to be any part of me that's going to want to draft Camaro over any of the three guys we just mentioned. And then I think he's pretty close to some of these next couple guys that we're going to discuss here. But uh, the chance that he's going to have a better quarterback situation, the fact that New Orleans offense should be better in general, whether it's Michael Thomas coming back, whether it's trading him for another wide receiver, whether it's drafting a wide receiver in the first round. This Saints offense should be better next year than it was this year, which is only good news for Alvin Kamara. Uh, and the fact that, again, he was able to show he can at least be put up these RB1 caliber numbers in the Taysom Hill start is what I really needed to see from him, just in case that's where his quarterback situation is next year. Uh, I I like it here at four. I'm not as locked in as I am on the top three, but this is a guy that I was, I was surprised I liked a little bit more than I thought I was going to on first glance. You talk about the Saints offense needing to potentially get better uh, in order to for Kamara to reach back to those Drew Brees levels of production. Do you know what offense doesn't need to get better, Jamie? The Cincinnati Bengals offense. That thing is churning in Cincinnati, and this is where my, my gripe comes in. I'd flip these. I would have Joe Mixon as a top-four running back. I think he deserves it after the season he has. Your 1.5 is Joe Mixon running back from Cincinnati. An unbelievable season that I think for fantasy managers – gets lost behind Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow playing extremely well. I think it gets lost a little bit. Joe Mixon was a top five running back in fantasy. We finally got there. We finally got the Joe Mixon is a legitimate fantasy running back threat. Now, maybe a large part of that was due to other bigger names having injuries and not producing, but Joe Mixon went on the field and played particularly well. He had a stretch of games where he was over 100 yards a bunch, scored a touchdown in a bunch of straight games. He was very, very good. I'd flip these just based on the trajectory of the two teams and of the two players. I think Mixon's kind of on an upswing where Kamara's kind of on a downswing. So I would flip these two uh, and Joe Mixon as a top four running back. But you have Joe Mixon as running back 1.5. Yeah, I'm excited. It's finally the year that we've been... It feels like we talk about this Joe Mixon season and we fantasized about this type of Joe Mixon season all along. And we finally got it from him. And, and I think it'll get some more appreciation in the offseason as people look back and we get a little bit away from, you know, look, the Joe Burrow putting up stupid numbers these last few weeks and Jamar Chase's rookie season. When people sit back and look at the Bengals as a whole in the fantasy community, Mixon will get a lot more love 
in the coming months. RB3 in total points was absolutely great this year. You know, my I guess my tiebreaker, for lack of a better phrase with this, is that Alvin Kamara has a, a longer history of being a top five running back. This sure. is the first time we have seen Mixon kind of sustain this. And I think there's also the boomer bust factor, which was really interesting to look at Joe Mixon's games this year. He had seven games with 23 or more fantasy points this year, which was obviously matchup type, close to matchup winning type of production from your running back. But he also had six games with 10 or fewer points, including five single-digit games. So a little bit of boomer bust factor here as well that has to be uh, considered. But like you said, this Bengals offense shows exact no signs of slowing down. If Mixon can stay healthy, he will be here. But I do do want to note that the, uh, I'm not going to fall, and nobody should fall for the, oh, we're going to get Joe Mixon more involved in the passing game <laughs> nonsense again in August because it happens every year and it ain't happening. I will tell you, he had a stretch um, early in the season where five of six games, he had at least 24 fantasy points in PPR formats. Yeah. That's going to win you most weeks when you get that kind of production out of a running back. I'll talk against a player that I just talked up to emphasize a point that you made, Jamie, the, that boomer bust potential. He had the, three of those 10 below fantasy production came in these weeks. Weeks 13, weeks 14, and weeks 15 of the fantasy football season. So that could have also made, made or broke your season. Plays well in the early parts, but late in the in the game where you're potentially in playoffs or potentially a winning in scenario didn't necessarily come through. Uh, but again, a big-time year for Joe Mixon should certainly be on your radar. Uh, another running back off the board. Six straight, uh, 1.6. Dalvin Cook, running back in Minnesota. This is an interesting player, Jamie. This is a very interesting player. You have him right here smack in the middle of the first round, and I think you did that by design because I don't think you necessarily know how you feel about about Dalvin Cook going into 2022. So you said, you know what? Slap him right there in the middle. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, this was a player I flip-flopped with Kamara uh, when I did a little bit more research. And these next two picks are going to be fascinating because this is going to be uh, a potential pivot point for uh, potential fantasy champions next year. But, but uh, let's not jump too far ahead. Let's talk about Dalvin Cook. Obviously, he missed some time again this year. So he misses time every year. We know that. But we were hoping that maybe eh, he wouldn't be quite as much of an injury a risk. He was. He didn't quite have as dominant of a season. I know he had that, that monster game everybody remembers. And he did have four games with 19 or more fantasy points. But he finished nearly half his start with 11.3 or fewer points. And his overall average, 15.1, was just the RB11. So uh, I, I think we saw some dents in the armor for Dalvin Cook a little bit this year. Now, he still has league-winning potential. We still know what his upside can be. He's still got a matchup-winning potential any given week. He's got touchdown upside. He's got the talent upside. And, and, and at this point, you know, you're still drafting a player that does have RB1 overall potential with this pick. But... You know, you were willing to deal with the injury risk when he was averaging 18, 19, 20 fantasy points per game. And you're willing to take him in the, you know, RB2 or RB3 off the board. You know, now that he kind of dipped down to 15, those risks become more pronounced in my mind. Now, again, we are splitting hairs and we are criticizing elite players here because this is the first round. I still have him as a sixth player off the board, but I think I have more questions about Dalvin Cook now overall than I did at any other point uh, in the last few years. And all of the other issues that we've always had haven't gone away. So to me, he's more of a guy that I want to take in the middle of round one. I kind of want him to fall to me than to be somebody that I'm targeting with a top three or four pick. 
and I don't know the the contract situation for 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 this guy, and I don't necessarily know. Oh, they just they just resigned no, no, no. him. So uh, talk about all for the next guy. Finish Alexander Madison is who I'm referencing. Oh yeah, if he is still in the room, not to say he's going to take the entire workload. He's not. Madison, he's not stealing workload. But Madison has played well in relief, and I wonder if, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a new coaching staff there in Minnesota, that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, of do they try to do they try to go on a pitch count for Dalvin Cook to try to keep him healthy throughout the season, right? That's something yes. that I, I think needs to be addressed, and that's something yes, that a new coaching staff could install. Madison has one more year on his deal, so okay, he will so be under going contract to be the final year next year. So. Uh, it is something to me. I think that's actually a great point that that I should have brought up. The coaching staff is going to be the interesting piece because if they move on from Zimmer, what offense comes in there? Is it going to be as run heavy? There's a lot of factors that come in with that. So again, that just adds to the point. There are more question marks around Dalvin Cook that are not just injury related now than there have ever been in my mind. Well. I think you can take out Dalvin Cook from that sentence and put in the player that we're going to talk about that falls all the way down to 1.7. I'm sure there were people out there listening to the podcast screaming, Jamie, what the heck are you doing? Where is blank? Where's this guy? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Well, here he is, 1.7. No, it's not Saquon Barkley. It's Christian McCaffrey. He comes off the board here. Spoiler. 1.7. Uh, and this is a, I, when you first sent me this, it's the first name I saw that stood out to me of, oh, We're going to have to have a conversation. But I think the sentence you just said about Dalvin Cook, you can replace that with Christian McCaffrey, and it still applies. This is a year where I think we have more questions about Christian McCaffrey than we've ever had before. And and even here at 1-7, as I stare at this, I do wonder when push comes to shove and I actually have like money on the line. You wouldn't take him at 7. Would I have the balls to do it? I might. But here's the thing with Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be the hardest player to rank because he's going to be a guy that goes in the first round. Mm-hmm. He, there are going to be some gonna, guys in your league no. that will not have him going in the first round. They would have him off their first round board because I've talked to a lot of people about this specifically. This is fascinating to me. But here's the things that you have to weigh because we, we talk about drafting for upside. There is not a fantasy running back that includes Jonathan Taylor, that includes Derrick Henry, that includes Austin Eckler, that has a higher upside than Christian McCaffrey because we know what it's been. And we know what it's been even these last couple years when he's missed some time on a per-game basis. But this offense is bad. This coaching staff is bad. Their quarterback is bad. I think and his injury the, health the last two there years it is. is bad. Double-digit games each of the last two seasons. It's bad. And like he's missed 23 games over the last two years. Uh, look, he was averaging 17.6 fantasy points per game before he hurt his ankle in week 12. Last year, he was averaging 27 points per game in those three games that he played in. Which again, I mean, 17.6 would have been top five running back. Obviously, last year, that 27 was far and away the number one running back, but only three games. Taking him at all around one's risk. And this is one of those ones where in a best ball, I'm going to be way more willing to take him in round one than in, in a redraft league. You know what I mean? Because you can bet on the upside. You could try to grab some guys around him because it's tough. You know, you really need your first round pick to at least be productive. So I get the risk here. So I get those of you that are saying there's no way he makes it out of the top five for me. And then I get some of you saying there's no way I'm taking him in round one. And I think you can make a strong argument both ways, which is kind of why he lands where he does right here. He is for me, the, and I say this in the article, the first real high risk, high reward pick of this mock draft. Because 
if you told me we sit here at this point next year, January 4th of 2023, hopefully we're all still alive. But if we are sitting here at that point and you told me that Christian McCaffrey finishes the number one running back in fantasy football, I would not be shocked. If you told me Christian McCaffrey played eight games, I would not be shocked. So this is kind of where the can you stomach this risk here at the end of round one? Like, or I guess not the end of round one, the middle of round one. Can you he- stomach this risk? Because the reward could be you win your league. The reward could be you have the number one overall player in fantasy in the back half of the first round. You also need to very seriously trust your ability to get great depth later on if you're going to take this kind of risk. You have yes. to understand this is where it's not just Chuba got- Hubbard, by the way. This is this is you build this Correct. depth is not just handcuffs. It is building your roster to sustain the fact that he might be out. And this is something that, Jamie, no offense to you, you can't quantify in a story, but this is where league dynamics come into play. What are the other managers in your league looking at? Are you able, are you in a league where you're more knowledgeable, you know the situations for other teams a little bit better than others, you're able to snag some depth pieces that other other guys don't know about, other gals don't know about, then maybe you can stomach that risk. If everybody in the room is listening to Fantasy Podcasts, they're doing their research, they're investing the time into B, if this is a, this is a cutthroat, big-time, big-money league, I don't know if I could stomach the risk of Christian McCaffrey because I don't know if I'm going to get the value that I need to get in later rounds to be able to stomach that risk. So it's going to be a very fascinating discussion that is going to continue to be had, I think, throughout the offseason. And as we see, more importantly, uh, other than the injury thing, what their quarterback situation looks like going in uh, to the 2022 season. Um, Jamie, 1.8 on your mock draft. Najee Harris finds himself as RB8. We've gone eight running backs in a row. Uh, Certainly played particularly well fantasy-wise in that Pittsburgh offense that's going to have a new look next season. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Ben Roethlisberger will not be returning uh, to Pittsburgh next season, so we'll see what that looks like. Uh, But Najee Harris, a very, very good fantasy uh, rookie campaign that earns him the spot inside the top eight. Yeah, so if there's a player that's not ranked in the top five right now that has the best chance to be there uh, by the time we get a little bit deeper in the offseason to Tim. Uh, because I, part of me feels like I'm too low, even here. Because, look, if you look at the situation he was in, that that offensive line was brutal. Like, if you look at that game from Week 17, the Monday night game, I believe he had, what, 184 of his 188 yards after contact? Like, it was just stupid. Now, here's a concern. They're not going to be able to fix that offensive line in one offseason. It's not going to happen. They might get a little bit improved, but it's not going to be fixed in one offseason. The Steelers aren't, most likely going to get a Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. So either they're going to have a rookie quarterback, they're going to have Mason Rudolph, they're going to have a journeyman option, Matt Ryan. Uh, you know what I mean? Like Kenny Pickett and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let's go. But like, and and look, that will be an upgrade on some senses, but there's also going to be the sense of, are they going to check it down 18 gajillion times like Ben Roethlisberger was checking down because he literally was afraid to throw the ball down the field uh, in his whatever, like 2.5 yards per attempt last night. So, but as a rookie, in really kind of a tough situation, finishes the RB4 in total points, top six in average fantasy points per game. Uh, He only had three games all year with fewer than 13.2 fantasy points. Like that's that's pretty special. Uh, And he didn't score a lot of touchdowns. No, and I think that's the that's the thing where you actually would be encouraged because mm-hmm. if this offense looks better, this offensive line gets a little better, the quarterback situation gets a little better, he has plenty of room to grow in that area. What do you have, 10 touchdowns based on that? Uh, yeah, 
after that last one last night at the end of the game in garbage time. Yeah, so they, like, yeah, they didn't score a lot of points all season. Pittsburgh did. There weren't a lot of touchdowns to go around in that offense. So you would you would expect if the offense can be a little bit better in the quarterback position that they'll be able to to get into the end zone more. Najee will be a direct recipient of that because I don't think Jamie uh, just between friends here. I don't think Juju Smith-Schuster's back next season. No, uh, I don't think. Like, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson obviously have their roles, but I think Najee Harris is still going to be able to carve out a role in the pass-catching game. Sure. The question is going to be, I do think you're going to lose, you might lose a little in the pass-catching game. Just because he got so many targets. I mean, look, if they bring in another quarterback that's going to throw it to Najee Harris two yards down the field on fourth and ten next year, just, I'm sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I think there was some force feeding to him that might not be there, but that would be offset by, I think, the potential touchdown upside that he could get in a better offense. And this is this is the point of doing this exercise, right? I, we can't project this information out there, but I think I would feel a little bit differently about this and have Najee Harris ranked a little bit higher if Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, if there's a young rookie quarterback starting in Pittsburgh, because I think they are more likely to check it down. Fair. Uh, again, it depends on the quarterback situation. And again, that's why I will do the Eisner board projections next year. And I'll be able to kind of, that's the fun thing is looking back at this when I'm able to actually go back and quantify where I have guys projected and see where they go. But I could easily, I I don't foresee a scenario where I have him outside of the top 10. I could easily see myself putting him in the top five uh, as we get deeper in the off season. So, uh, and again, if you want to take him in the top five right now, I I don't think I would, uh, I wouldn't put up a fight. I, I really think four through eight is kind of a tier. It's a weird tier because there's a lot of different types of players there. But I don't think I would give you a major argument if you reordered those uh, in pretty, pretty much any way. Four picks left. The first wide receivers coming off the board. No friends. It's not Devontae Adams. No friends. It's not Tyreek Hill. No friends. It's not Stefan Diggs. Your wide receiver one in Jamie's way too early mock draft. Come on. He had one of the best seasons ever. Cooper Cup wide receiver one for Jamie. And Jamie... I, I don't know how you don't do this based on the season that he had and based on the fact that things aren't changing there. McVay's still calling the plays. Stafford's still the quarterback. Cooper Cup still Cooper Cup. They play in a division where Seattle's probably not going to have Russell Wilson next season. They're going to be rebuilding. They're on the downslope. That don't necessarily know what San Francisco's going to be. Uh, I, I love this. I think this is fair. I think this is rewarding a great season. And the situation there in, in L.A. is not really going to change all that much. Well, Chris, I, I want to correct you on something here. He didn't just have a great season. He had the best fantasy season for a wide receiver of all time. All time. Ever. Like, ever. I, though, absolutely phenomenal this year. Scored nearly 70 more fantasy points than the wide receiver, too. That is absolutely bonkers. 70 more fantasy points. Now, again, he's not going to do that again. I don't expect him to set an all-time great season again. I don't get. I don't expect him to necessarily win the, the triple crown and be threatening all of these wide receiver records again. But he's in a very, very good situation, as you mentioned. The pieces around him are going to stay the same. Yes, Cam Akers is going to come back, and they're going to try to run the ball. But they run the ball a lot with Sony Michelle this year. So I don't think that's going to take away from him. Robert Woods will come back at some point. But Cooper Cup was thriving with Robert Woods. Beckham's not going to be back. You know, So it, it, there's really no reason for me to not take him as the wide receiver one. And it's not like this is a flash in the pan guy. This was a guy that has been proven year in and year out as kind of one of the guys I used to love to draft in the middle rounds that always overperformed, always was having a high level of success with far inferior quarterback play. And now Matthew Stafford and him have a connection. Jake told us back in the off season that he had heard a little birdie tell them that those two had really 
struck up a, a really strong connection, and that really played out this year. And I think just as importantly, there are some other questions I have with some of the other top receivers that we were talking about in this spot. Uh, Devontae Adams, for example, is he going to be in Green Bay? One. Part two, is he going to be with Aaron Rodgers? Anywhere. That's a question for me. Tyreek Hill had a very good season. Stephon Diggs had a very good season. They didn't have great seasons. So I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to pick them in that spot. So to me, this is as much about I don't think there's really anybody else that I would feel super confident being in this spot given the situation, given the volume, given the quarterback, given the coach, given the team. Cooper Cup, I think, deserves to be the first receiver off the board. And I think this is really the stage here, this back quarter, uh, back third, uh, I should say, of this first round is kind of where you should start looking at wide receiver. Uh, Jamie, 1.10 is a pick, and maybe we need to mail this story uh, to Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns uh, offensive uh, coaching staff to let them know that this is where you have Nick Chubb uh, going off the board in in, in mock drafts. A 1.10 for you, because they didn't realize it last night in, in playing that football game. So you may want to let them know that you think this highly of Nick Chubb in fantasy formats for 2022. Th- that uh, The game last night was so strange. Uh, it very like If I were a conspiracy theorist, Chris, no, don't uh, do this. If I if if I were to put on my tinfoil hat, Chris, I would say that Kevin Stefanski wanted to make prove a point about how bad Maker Mayfield was in the way that that game was called. Like if you told me that Kevin Stefanski wanted to prove a point about that he can't win with Baker Mayfield when their season was already over, that's kind of what that felt like. But from a Nick Chubb standpoint, um, look, he missed a little bit of time, but he still delivered five 21 plus point performances this season, matchup winning potential there. Um, he finished inside the RB1 category in total points, a top 10 running back in fantasy points per game. The, the, the reason why I always kind of stick him here at the, either the very end of the first round or very beginning of the second round is because he he doesn't really have RB1 upside. Like he doesn't have the, I remember I say RB1 in this case, I mean the number one overall running back upside. Because we made the case for a lot of these guys on how they could find their way, whether it's through pass catching, whether it's through touchdown volume, combination of the two, the offense they're in. Like Chubb is still going to be splitting time with Kareem Hunt. He's got high touchdown potential and gives him a very high floor. He's going to be he's a double-digit touchdown type of guy every single year. Plays front first offense, plays behind a very strong offensive line. But he's not going to catch a lot of passes. He misses some time here and there. They take him off the field in certain situations. I mean, they're taking him off the field for Dearness Johnson uh, at, at points in this game. So his ceiling is, I would argue, lower than any other player we've talked about so far. Like if we're just going to talk about just pure ceilings, he is the lowest of any of the players here in the first round that we've discussed, but he has a really high floor. And this is one of those quintessential, like solid foundationals kind of safe picks where you were maybe hoping for higher upside guys to fall to you, but you didn't get that opportunity. So you're going to just take kind of the steady Eddie Nick Chubb, knowing when he's healthy and active, he's going to give you RB one production. I'll tell you this, Jamie, I won't spoil it. I would take the running back you have going with the last pick in the first round, 1.12 over Nick Chubb. We'll get there in a second. We'll get there. Uh, pick 11. Two more picks to go. Your second wide receiver fun. coming off the board. This is fun because I think you're wrong. So this is I mean, fun. you always think I'm wrong. So the, Just, but this is, this is going to be a good debate because I, I, we talked about the RB1 debate. And the RB1 debate is fun because you've got two elite talents. But it's two. The wide receiver, the wide receiver two, two debate – is great because we've got a handful of players to discuss here, Chris. So who would, before I reveal who my pick is going to be, who would your pick have been? 
I still, I still think it would be Stefan Dix, right? Okay. I, I, st- I still think that's where I would lean because I think he's a, a big candidate to have a quote-unquote bounce back in that offense next season um, with, with Josh Allen and Buffalo. Uh, I think you point out in the, in the story, and I'll do this, I'll reverse it. You talk about how Devontae Adams don't always going to have Aaron Rodgers. We heard a report that Green Bay plans to franchise tag him, so then they're going to have to go through the whole drama of doing the tag and trade if they're going to send him where Aaron goes and do all that mess. Tyreek Hill, I you know I didn't the Kansas City Chiefs offense didn't look all that fun at times this season. Looked a little weird. Didn't look as great as it normally does. Mahomes out there making some weird plays, and Tyreek Hill, listen, he's getting a little bit older. Uh, you went with Justin Jefferson, and my issue with this is Jamie. I have zero clue, zero idea who's coaching Justin Jefferson next season and who's going to, more importantly, throw the ball to Justin no, Jefferson. Kirk Cousins is throwing him the ball. They, they're not, they can't cut Kirk Cousins. So, and I don't think anybody's trading for Kirk Cousins right now. So, uh, no. So, I, I don't have any worries about who's throwing him the ball. And by the way, I don't think they're going to bring in a coach that's going to be more prohibitive because they're already a super run-heavy offense. They're not going to get more run-heavy. I don't think it's possible unless they, they reincarnate a coach from 1935. I don't think it's going to be possible for them to get more run heavy than they've been at times this year. Uh, here's my argument here. And, and I laid this all out in the article. You can read this all for all of these picks more in depth at the draftnetwork.com. And right now, if you go there on Tuesday, it's boom, front center on the top page. Shout out to John Matt. But uh, to me, I, I go, why can't Justin Jefferson be the wide receiver too? He was the wide receiver six as a rookie. We said, there's no, no way he follows it back up, right? Remember when Jake told me that wide receiver five? Uh, this year as a sophomore in total fantasy points, still an ascending talent. He only had two games, two, all season long with single-digit fantasy points. And one of those was this past week with Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond throwing him the ball. He is a lock to be a top-five wide receiver if he remains healthy. He's got upside. He's got touchdown potential. Uh, I think the fact that he's not on a good team helps him. Throwing the ball a little bit more. Uh, if something happens to Dalvin Cook, I, I am in on Justin Jefferson. Now, again, I think there's a razor-thin margin between him and the group of wide receivers we're talking about, the Devontae Adams, the Tyreek Hills, the Stephon Diggs of the world. Um, and we'll see in future weeks where these guys come off the board. Uh, there's also another name we haven't talked about that's going to come off the board in round two uh, that'll be really fun in the wide receiver category as well. I won't spoil that yet because, again, I still might change these picks up until the time they're published. But – there's a lot of really – like right now, if I were to look at the wide receiver too, I think you could make a reasonable – not like, you know – I mean, you can always make an argument for somebody. But as I'm looking right now, I think I can make a reasonable argument for one, two, three, four, five players. I think I can make a reasonable argument for five players as the wide receiver too. And I think that is really, really exciting. And by the way, I think all of those other players will come off the board in the second round for me. So we're really looking at the end of the first round through the middle of the second round as kind of this group of, what, two through six? I do math on the air. Two through six of the wide receiver category, which is going to be absolutely fascinating. The last pick of the first round, pick 12. The player that I said I would put ahead of Nick Chubb. This should not shock you if you've been following along with the story, but if you are just listening to the podcast, this should not shock you because you know how much of a fan I am of this guy in this situation. Javante Williams comes yeah, up I did it. to close out the first round. And Jamie, you make a mention in the story that, that you're making a very big leap. Not, I shouldn't say a big leap. You're making a projection that Javante Williams is going to be the only back in the backfield for Denver next season, that they are not going to bring back Melvin Gordon. I think it's a fair assumption on your part for the sake of this story. And 
even with Melvin Gordon around and them splitting basically 50-50, Javante Williams was still incredibly productive. Finished as an RB2 uh, in total points and an RB2 in average fantasy points per game, while again in a 50-50 split with Melvin Gordon. I think that's the very important part. So that workload doesn't even, even need to increase all that much, and you're talking about a guy that could very easily threaten to be an RB1. Yeah, so at this point we're talking this is RB10. So in the first, so I have 10 running backs going in round one. So this is RB10, so we're talking about a low-end RB1 here. And no, I do not expect Melvin Gordon to be back. It will be remains to be seen whether or not they bring in another running back to compete with Mike Boone to be the backup there. But I don't think whoever they bring in is going to get the workload that Melvin Gordon got. I, I think it was very clear. We talked about this when Javante Williams got drafted, what the plan was to be, run with these guys together, start to phase in more Javante Williams toward the end of the year, let Melvin Gordon walk, and then let Javante Williams be the guy as much as really anybody that's not Derrick Henry or whatever can be the guy in the backfield anymore. But in that 50-50 role, as you mentioned, RB17 in total points, RB24 in average fantasy points per game, getting 50.7% of Denver's offensive snaps. So that, that number is going to jump. Now, he, he's not going to – I don't expect him to get a Derrick Henry or, or healthy Dalvin Cook or, or Jonathan Taylor type of workload. I don't expect that. But I do expect him to play more than half of Denver's offensive snaps. I had an elite missed tackle rate, uh, just absolutely off the charts, even with his limited playing time. Runs hard. Is going to be on a team that's going to be at least a playoff contender. And oh, by the way – they're going to get a better quarterback. The quarterback play cannot get any worse than it was no, this year and, with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. And they might not just get a better quarterback. They might get Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. Like, so this, this is, to me, a very fun spot for him where I could see Javante Williams finishing the year as a top five running back. I think he's got top five running back potential. Now, you're projecting more. You're asking a lot more. and you're, There's a lot more what-ifs that need to happen here than some of the other running backs that we've talked about. But... Uh, to me, at this point, at this stage, I can't quite let him get out of the first round. Definitely can't let him get out of the top 15, but I don't think I'd let him get out of the first round. That's it. 12 picks in the books. This is going to be fun. We're going to add a round to this each and every week. I say we as if I have any uh, – I contribute at all to this. I yeah, just you have no say. Uh, Jamie puts together the rankings. Uh, Jamie, should we tell everybody – so obviously fantasy season – over uh, and we do the two shows a week we are still going to do the Sunday post show talk about football we're going to have a conversation about the games not necessarily totally through a fantasy lens but give you our thoughts our commentary on these games and then we'll come back on Tuesdays and then we'll do Jamie's mock draft and then once the playoffs start and once the offseason start we got a lot of more fun stuff yeah uh, so essentially for the next few weeks we will continue our Sunday night Tuesday morning shows um, that will run through the end of the Super Bowl and the kind of the same format Sunday will be our big recap show Tuesday, we'll break down my mock draft, and that will take us through the week uh, the, the week just immediately exiting out of the Super Bowl. And then uh, we will keep you posted on what our offseason schedule will look like. There's obviously a ton of draft events, but uh, we will not be doing two a week post the Super Bowl, but we will be doing uh, probably one show a week. We'll do some in, in, at, at certain points. There might be a couple week breaks, but we'll keep you updated on all that. But all you need to know is that now – through the, the days immediately following the Super Bowl, you will still continue to get your two shows a week on the schedule that we have been on. And for those of you that are still playing this week, there I know there's about, uh, from what I saw from certain polls, our, our good friend Zach Cohen, who writes up our waiver wire articles uh, and our start sits for us, saw his poll was about like 15, 20% of people that said they were still playing this week. So for those of you that are still playing, we did not forget about you. Uh, you know, we're not giving a lot of this content on the show now. DraftNetwork.com under the fantasy tab. 
week 18 rankings, all the positions, they will be updated throughout the week. Uh, so kind of keep, uh, keep in mind on that, uh, uh, you know, that kind of scenario, uh, as we go forward that I will continue to update those throughout the week. So if you are playing, that's the situation that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Jamie, where can everybody follow you on social media? Follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter and at Jamie Eisner TDN on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Shoe Radio, S-C-H-U Radio. You can follow the show on Twitter at TDN Fantasy. Again, we're back Sunday recapping all of the Week 18 action. Uh, as we will know, all of the teams that are in the playoffs, we will know the playoff matchups. It is a fun time. Uh, good luck for those of you that are playing in Week 18. If you're playing DFS this week uh, and, you, and you want to use Jamie's rankings for that as well, good luck to you in that. We will talk to you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.